Hello, I'm Dr. Lucy McBride, and welcome to my office. This is Beyond the Prescription, a show where I talk with people who are at the top of their fields about their health, their success, their struggles, and the relationship between all of it. I'm a primary care doctor in DC and a mom of three. In my over 20 years of practice, I've realized that patients are much more than the sum total of their cholesterol and their weight. That health is about much more than the absence of disease. So let's get into it and go beyond the prescription. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome an incredible guest to the show, my friend, Katherine Kendall. Catherine is really a jack of all trades in Hollywood and in the performing arts with experience as an actor, an artist, a photographer, and now as an advocate. She got her start playing the role of Clara in the Nutcracker for the Washington Ballet and continued her ballet education in New York and later attended the American Academy of the Dramatic Arts. You may know her from her roles on Beverly Hills 90210. She made out with Jason Priestley. Firefly, and Swingers, to name a few. Catherine, I'm really thrilled and honored to have you on the podcast today. As someone who's really been a pioneer in the Me Too movement, who has stood up for her belief despite a significant amount of emotional and personal repercussions, you're sort of an emblem of somebody who's thought about your mental and physical health in tandem as a way of modeling for other women how to be brave. And the theme here to me is courage. I want to start by asking you, let's just get right into you being one of the first people to come out talking about Harvey Weinstein. I mean, here you were, a young woman, sort of on this meteoric rise, who had an experience with Harvey. I want to hear about that. And then had the courage to come forward when no one else really had. You were one of the first people to talk about it. So can you just bring me to that space? First of all, thank you for having me as a guest. I'm honored to be here. You know, bravery is one of these things that I think that like you have to kind of re-up and I have to re-summon my courage a lot. I was terrified and terror and fear won. And maybe for good reason, because I really wouldn't have had the support And so courage would have maybe obliterated me in that moment had I come forward. And maybe my courage was to keep it inside. Can you tell me what you mean by that? Like when you spoke out, you reached a point where it was more painful to not speak out than to say something. Can you describe what that means? I think that certain times when, for me in my experience anyway, when sort of horrible things have happened to me, you have your initial reaction And then there's something in my brain that might go right into a sort of denial or way to minimize the pain, intellectualize it, make it funny, do anything to kind of get through it. And also, you know, you look around and you look for other people that have had that situation so that you can join and you don't see it. So you close up and you put it away and you go forward and you almost don't realize how much it hurts you until a trigger comes along. And a trigger might be accidentally, say, like running into Harvey Weinstein at a premiere and finding that my body had a reaction. Like I feel my throat closing up. So you have that moment and then you push it away and then you push it away. You know, she had the police wire her and they even caught him. And I saw all these years later that that Harvey was still doing this and there was no punishment. In fact, they vilified her. And that, again, like brought up more rage than it probably did for anyone else. 
it was a normal day. And then I saw that happen and my body started to shake. The reaction, the feeling just flooded back through me. And it was those hints that there was a strong, a strong force coming out of me that was sort of bigger than I could understand. So you just gave the very almost classic, if you will, description of the physical manifestations of past trauma coming out of your body, like through your pores, right? Like heart racing, breathlessness, knees buckling. I mean, obviously there are myriad physical manifestations of post-traumatic stress disorder. It can be insomnia, it can be headaches, and we're going to get to that. It's going to be body pain. But what is so interesting to me about patients and then, of course, about you, Catherine, is that you were able to identify years later that your body was keeping score. I mean, there's actually a book called The Body Keeps the Score, which is a wonderful book about trauma. Your body was keeping score, and it was ahead of the kind of cognitive awareness of what really had happened and how significant that was. I want to go back for a minute and back many, many years before you were at a premiere and felt like your knees were buckling and your heart was pounding out of your chest. When you talk about painful moments with Harvey, again, I know enough about trauma to not want to trigger people in the moment by talking about something traumatic, but you and I have talked about this before. And so if you're willing to like, describe what happened and describe if you could, how you felt that not talking about it, sort of putting the kind of humorous, intellectualized compartmentalization around it served you. I mean, what happened that day? I met Harvey Weinstein because my agents had set up a meeting for me to meet with him. I was auditioning for lots of different projects back then, and he gave me three different scripts from Miramax to audition for. He also had invited me to become part of the Miramax family and was, you know, saying, come to premieres, meet writers, directors, other actors. And I just thought it was such a cool, creative community to be invited to become a part of. I ended up going to a screening later the same afternoon after I'd had my meeting with him because he invited me and it seemed like it wasn't really a screening. It was just another day at the movies and that was strange. And I sort of got through the movie with him and wanted to go home pretty quickly, but he convinced me to, that he would walk me to the subway and then the subway ended up to be right by his house. Then there was another sort of negotiation, like, please come upstairs. Let's continue talking. And I was like, no, I'll wait outside. And that went on. And then I did finally go upstairs and talk to him because I figured, well, his family's there. He's married. It's, it, you know, he's so much older than I was. I just was convinced that it would be okay. And we had a, another talk in his apartment, or I thought it was his apartment. Now I don't know if it even really was, but it seemed like a legitimate conversation. And I felt sort of like this is, was everything I'd been working toward. Like, again, it had all this sort of, safety measurements around it that I thought should be in place. My agent set up the meeting. He's, you know, a known producer. He would have to account for his time. Clearly nothing could happen. You know, that's what I was thinking. And then he asked me for a massage about an hour into our conversation. And I said no, and I tried to leave. And then he went back to, I thought, to the bathroom. And then he came out completely naked. And that's when my heart sort of went, oh no. 
this might be the most dangerous situation I've been in in my life and it's happening right now and I don't know how to get out of it. And I remember my body was sort of trembling and I was sort of like, what do you, what I need to, you know, it was a terrible kind of hour long conversation of him sort of chasing me around, trying to get me to lift up my shirt or give him a massage all while he was completely naked. And I wasn't able to pass by him to like leave the apartment. I was trying to sort of get by. And I think the whole thing was just obviously it was really terrifying and it wasn't something that I felt like I could really talk about with anybody because there were there was nowhere to go back then you know to report these sorts of things and I certainly didn't have any power or really a leg to stand on it just didn't seem like the world was supporting women or anyone coming forward about sexual assault or harassment and I just kind of kept it inside because I told my mom, of course, and I was terrified. And But I was also terrified for her to try to do anything because I was so sure that the repercussions would come back only on me. And even her, if she told, I was so full of fear. And I think I lived with that fear for 20, 20 or maybe 30 years until I had the chance to speak with Jody Cantor at the New York Times. And it seemed like the world was finally ready to talk about some of these things. But I think keeping that secret and sort of holding, you know, it's, it's amazing what happens with trauma and sexual assault because there's so much shame involved and attached somehow, even if you didn't do anything to provoke it or invite it, clearly there's something about sexual assault that sort of leaves a shame around it that's really hard to break through and get rid of. And I think that kind of trauma can really live inside of us and affect us. It's making my palms sweat. It's making my breath more shallow, thinking about that intense vulnerability. I mean, here you are, this young, what, 23-year-old who's, I'm sure, impressed and sort of amazed that you're even in the company of Harvey Weinstein, and here he is taking an interest in you, and then all of a sudden he's naked. It's just hard to even imagine. I can't imagine how that, that felt. It is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, not just for me, but for every young person, for every person that ever has to feel that threat or then the threat with the powerlessness to, to speak about it or to get any sort of support around it. The culture was not there. This was very soon after Anita Hill, where I watched her and I just thought, we are not in a world that wants to hear what's really going on about sexual perpetration, about harassment. It was just not there and nobody wants to hear it. And I get it. We don't. Who wants to hear that about your heroes or, or anyone? You know, it's, it's, it's horrible. But then when it happens to you and you have nobody there to listen or believe you, your hands are cut off. So what I'm hearing from you is in that moment and then in the moments afterwards, you felt like you had just handed over so much power, right? You'd handed over your future, your career. The powerlessness, it just makes my heartache. It felt hopeless in a way. Like there's a, you know, a part of my life that doesn't count, that I can't fight for. A big part of my life, you know, seems like a part of my soul almost. I think it made me feel defeated and depressed. The calculation that I kind of came up with was, this is how you're supposed to play. I'm not cut out for it. Maybe other people are. Maybe they're just stronger than me. Maybe I'm not strong enough. Maybe there's something wrong with me. All of this self 
blame. I need a tougher skin. It hurt me, but other people in the world seem to think that you should be able to deal with this sort of thing. So again, I'm too sensitive and I don't want to be too sensitive. I don't want to be the one ruffling the feathers. I don't really want to be the one causing a negative attention. It's the last thing I wanted. Bringing any kind of like pain or conflict up is hard enough for me, I think, in life and is still a lesson that I work on. But to think about bringing it up in a way that felt like I really had a leg to stand on and it was a real conflict. You know, you know, you believe what happened to you somewhere deep inside, but the world is saying we're not sure. So then you're questioning your own reality and then you just live. You just live with the consequences of what's stuffing that and what keeping that pain inside does. And I didn't know about trauma. I didn't know that word until much later in my life. And, you know, recently really is, is when it started to come up and I started to really look at it and start to understand that the brain, like you and I had talked about the ACEs study and the ways that trauma manifests itself in our bodies physically later. And I think that even if you don't want to look at this stuff, sometimes you just have to. So again, you know, I may not have wanted to look at the Harvey Weinstein stuff, but then again, all these years later, I started to get migraines right around the time that I came forward about it. Then sadly, I didn't just get migraines, but I got over 15 migraines a month, which is bananas. It's like, I can't even say the word. When I say that, I just think, how is that possible? How am I living with this? You know, I'm in the middle of dealing with all of that. So when something comes up that's bad enough, it's screaming, pay attention to me. So then once again, I had to start to look into what are these? What is this? And then finding out that migraines are one of the top manifestations of trauma. So it sounds like there were two kind of driving forces, correct me if I'm wrong, Catherine, that kept you from speaking out then. One, the human instinct, which is actually somewhat of a coping strategy to compartmentalize it, intellectualize it, kind of put a kind of hard shell around the experience to protect you emotionally and physically from all that trauma. And then the other was that the world wasn't ready. Our culture was not ready to handle the truth. And so what I want to ask you about next is because you kept it inside to protect yourself, to protect your mental health, to protect your physical health in that moment and to acknowledge the realities of our culture, not able to digest this kind of information. What did that look like for you? What did that feel like mentally and physically? How did that manifest? I'm still in the process of kind of understanding, and I'm not pointing all of my migraines to Harvey only. We all have other traumas in our life too. We have little traumas, big traumas, and it's a culmination of things. I think that while I was willing to like take that risk and speak publicly to the world about it. It was an enormous responsibility in a way too, because you're fighting, you're unearthing, you know, all these secrets and you're talking about it constantly. It is a kind of a vulnerability to step up to bat like that and just talk about it, you know, openly to the world. And there's a pressure and there's an intensity. I think that intensity must've started to maybe stress me out in a way that migraines might've been triggered. Who's to know? It's really a mystery. You know, I know that I'm trying with all my sort of prescription for myself since for this year has been well-being at all costs, 
meaning like whatever I can do to keep my nervous system calm, do it. Because I'm homebound so much of the time anyway with migraines that there's a part of me that's had to teach myself to kind of just like, instead of fighting it and getting upset about it and stressing out more and creating more to kind of unplug. And it's so much harder to unplug than you think it would be. Not stress myself out by watching all the news all the time. Not put myself in situations that activate my nervous system like that because it isn't worth it. And so my body again was like, no, you know, it's just, you have no choice. Your body's doing it for you. Your body's saying, stop, just stop. Just take care of you. Go and, you know, do what you need to do. I was thinking about something. I thought about this. I wanted to share it with you. I was talking to my therapist because I have jaw pain. Yes. We talked about jaw pain. Because it can also, the headaches, and I get a trigeminal nerve pain. I mean, it's just been a head situation. So then she said to me, so are you clenching your teeth? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, what does that clench feel like? And I realized it's like a holding on, you know? We talked about how the clenching of the jaw might be like holding on to anger. It's not coming out. Like something's not coming out. I just decided to be in a space of being curious about what the pain was. And that's where I am right now. I'm like asking my body, you know, what are you trying to tell me and go into it? And it isn't an easy thing, but it's an interesting way to be in conversation with your body to see what it might be trying to tell you. As you and I talked about, not every person with migraine headaches has experienced trauma and not every person who has had trauma has migraine headaches. But let's acknowledge that the body keeps the score, that the physical manifestations of an adverse childhood experience or adverse experience, you know, the ACEs are what we talked about, the adverse childhood experiences, literature, the literature on emotional, physical, behavioral, and mental health outcomes of people who had childhood trauma. And then, you know, you were a 23-year-old that at any age if we experience trauma, it can manifest itself physically. And what's interesting to me, Catherine, is that you had that physical manifestation of trauma when you saw Harvey, for example, in another setting post-first encounter. And then it's only later on that you had these migraines. You were not a migraine headache sufferer. But tell me about how that came about and how did you recognize that your migraines were directly related to emotional distress? And that's exactly how it happened. I did all the other things first. You know, I saw the doctors, triptans, all the shots. You know, I did everything. The looking at migraines from an emotional standpoint of view didn't occur to me until I was, again, on my knees, like, I have no choices. Am I going to have to put myself in a hospital for the rest of my life? How do you handle this kind of chronic pain? I've never had a lot of physical issues either, which is something that kind of threw me. It's not to say that someone's adverse childhood experience or trauma is the reason they developed, say, breast cancer. It's not that trauma equals X, right? It's like we are layered, complex organisms. But let's also acknowledge that our stories good, bad, and ugly, live in our bodies. And that when you have had an experience like you had, it would be surprising not to have some physical manifestation of that fear, vulnerability, powerlessness, anger, all those feelings that are completely appropriate when you are confronted with what you were confronted with. So many of my patients with headaches, for example, whether it's migraine headaches or tension type headaches or cluster headaches, they see neurologists, they see specialists to get, you know, everything from sumatriptan and other triptan medications to daily preventative medications to Botox into the sort of occipital muscles to help unlock tight muscles. And for many of my chronic pain patients, whether it's headaches or something else, we sometimes crack the code 
when we add in that curiosity, as you just said, about your body and like what's going on in here, because when we're under stress, our muscles tense. Our jaw is one of the strongest muscles in our body, and it's where we, we carry a lot of tension. Our upper back and neck are also notoriously the center of a lot of muscle tension from stress, whatever the cause. And so when we can kind of assess that some of this may be muscular and then figure out the root causes, then that kind of opens the door to figuring out other ways in addition to medications that we can solve for the headaches. Did you always know that? Did you always know, like when you were in medical school, did you always know that there was gonna, there was the connection or are yes. you learning it as you go? To me, that is often the key to the castle of people's health is instead of compartmentalizing uncomfortable physical or emotional symptoms, actually facing them head on and asking ourselves, okay, what is this about? That would be an incredible world to live in where we didn't medicalize the human condition, but we recognize the inseparability of mental and physical health. And we recognize that, you know, we have coping strategies to deal with stress and trauma and challenges that are healthy, like going outside and exercising, seeing a therapist, a pastor, a rabbi, talking out your stress. And then there are ways we negatively cope with trauma and stress from abusing others acting out, abusing alcohol, drugs, et cetera. And for people to connect the dots between how they feel and how they behave and how they interact with other people is really kind of at the essence of our humanity and health. I'll be dead before modern medicine addresses people in that sort of nuanced way. But in the meantime, I can keep advocating for this nuanced view of health. And you, Catherine, can keep advocating for speaking out for courageous conversations and for modeling vulnerability to other women who have maybe been through something exactly the same or something else that's been hard. And I wonder if your advocacy work is part of your recovery. I mean, I would imagine, you know, when I talk to patients about offsetting stress, managing hard things, emotional or physical, we often talk about kind of facing outward and like giving back, so to speak you know, not living in our heads. And so I wonder if the advocacy work you do has helped you. Yeah. To understand what's actually going on and to also let people know, like, it isn't your fault if a trauma happened to you. And then therefore, or even if a trauma didn't happen, there's something about feeling like when things happen to us, I know for women, a lot of the times we think it's our fault. We apologize for it. We feel guilty about it. It's hard for us to say what we want and what we need. It's interesting to hear you, someone I look at and go, well, you're a Harvard doctor and you feel like you have the need to please. You feel like you have to be sort of someone who doesn't ruffle feathers in society. Yeah. I mean, I think if we can give ourselves permission to be honest with ourselves and others and then be others focused while caring for ourselves. That's sort of like the holy grail to me, right? Because giving ourselves permission to feel how we feel, whether it's unpleasant or good or in the middle, and then, you know, being others focused, I think is really such an important part of who you are. Yeah. I love that because I think oftentimes people go to their doctors and they think, I can't really tell them because I'm going to get in trouble somehow. Like they're going to this perfect doctor is going to look at me, this mere human, and think, 
well, you shouldn't do that. And that was way too much sugar. And you should know better than to have caffeine. And that was one too many drinks or <laughs> whatever it is. And you just, you don't want to tell the truth when you feel like you're going to get in trouble for it. You want to tell the truth when you feel like someone's going to help you answer to it or figure out a solution for it. I think it's so important because there are actual true victims in this world, victims of social injustices, racial injustice, sexual trauma, all of the things that we see with our eyes wide open. But you're right. You don't have to stay a victim. I mean, it's not optional for everyone to step outside the victim role. But I think you're right to the extent we can recognize our vulnerabilities, name them and then navigate them and then regain agency without staying in that victim role. That is really the path forward. There is a constant lesson for me in learning to speak up for myself. And that gets stopped when I feel ashamed. You know, when I feel blame or shame, it's harder to speak. You know, the role that shame and blame and self-blame and all that does to us is, it means shame is a killer. It's a killer. And it will stop people from moving forward in their lives in any way or reaching out for any kind of help, medical help, mental help, which is medical help. I'm not sure if that's a part of what we've just gone through being women in the world, feeling like we're just, we're still not quite fully equal in terms of how we get paid. We're still not fully, we're just not there. We're not, we're not considered equal and we know it. And so speaking about ourselves as if we deserve to be here is not easy. And that's exactly what Tarana Burke, that's exactly why she created the term. She's the one who created the term Me Too. And she created for black and brown girls to be able to have someone to speak to, to have the courage to share it because the power in just sharing it, especially when it's a shame that sort of comes from someone else. You know, it's not a natural shame that shows me like what's right or wrong. It's a shame that you did to me. You know, I was not feeling that way. And then you, and then somehow it's on me now. And, and I'm the one carrying this. I'm the one suffering. I'm sure Harvey has actually suffered too. And I'm sure if you look, this is maybe not a very nice thing for me to say, and I don't mean it to be talking about someone else's body, but we saw how he became sort of, his back was hurting and he's disheveled and he's overweight and he's diabetic. I mean, it manifested in his body too, but I'm not an expert and I shouldn't say that, but it shows up. All these acts show up in our bodies. We have to keep practicing and modeling it. And you're not done. I mean, I think it's important for people to recognize two things. One, when you face uncomfortable truths about your life, your experiences, what happened to you, what happened inside you, you're often going to feel worse before you feel better. It's not like it's a straight line facing hard things. And then number two, that this is ongoing work. That's the gift from this. And again, I have to go back to Jody Cantor from the Times who sort of said, this is a story and thank you for telling me what happened to you. Hopefully we can bring more good from this, you know, turn something very, very destructive that happened to you into something constructive. And then that gave me a sort of jumping off point. I had no idea would bring me so much so much completion and so much healing. I think you're helping people, Catherine, by talking about it right now and by being open about your experience because Me Too is so aptly named because someone is listening to this right now and someone is thinking to themselves as they're doing the dishes or walking their dog and thinking, you know what? 
that experience when I was in college or I was in grade school that I've laughed off or compartmentalized and me too. I always said this from the very beginning, and I do really believe this. If I can only affect one single person, then I've done my job. It'd be great if I could affect lots of people, millions of people. But if I can only reach in and show one life, you know, and say, hey, this is how it has been and it doesn't have to be this way anymore. And here's another way of looking at it or here's a place to come for support then I will feel like I have done my job. More importantly, it's that giving back thing that you're talking about and that connection to others and that connection to community is a gift also that 100% helps, I think, in my own releasing of trauma. You know, if we can get and help people early enough on, then we have a chance of creating a different world. We do. This is not something that you're ever going to be done with. I mean, I'm hoping you're done with your migraine headaches. It sounds like you've had a good run recently. Two and a half, three weeks now without having a headache is a really big deal for me right now. It says a lot. It says a lot that you're really getting somewhere with this sort of curiosity about your body. And I just hope it lasts. Um, I hope you can keep it up because that is work in and of itself. Keep going with your advocacy work. And even talking to me today, I think has helped. It's helped me. It's helped a lot of people, I think. So thank you, Catherine, for joining me. I'm just thrilled you were able to be with me. Thank you. And thank you for doing all the wonderful work that you're doing, connecting the dots between our emotions and our bodies. Thank you all for listening to Beyond the Prescription. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, download, and share the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you catch your podcasts. I'd be thrilled if you liked this episode to rate and review it. The views expressed on this show are entirely my own and do not constitute medical advice for individuals. Such advice must be obtained from your personal physician. 